Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world. Bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors. Covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Friends, welcome in episode nine here of the summer series. What we do here on Everything Under the Sun is we take where the weather meets your life and we help weatherproof your life to get you through. And this summer, it has been a long summer, especially in the middle of the country. A lot of heat and humidity. Uh, we've seen it at times out west. We've seen it surge into the east. We're getting another surge as we head into the weekend ahead here into the northeast and along the I-95 corridor. A lot of brutal heat heading into the weekend and still pretty hot and humid with thunderstorm chances. Up. We're going to talk to Joe Lundberg later on in the podcast in our weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond. But Joe's also going to be part of our first raise of focus segment as millions of students from the middle school through the high school and up and even to the college level get ready for their fall sports season with two or three a day practices as we get into this next couple of weeks i wanted folks to understand how the body works in this situation we'll use joe's situation and his experience with the iron man that he participated in just a couple of weeks ago in the heart of the last heat wave up in lake placid new york we'll talk to joe about that and we'll talk to tony wolf from penn state about how you can keep yourselves and each other cool and especially some of the things you need to think about for those students that are heading off to high school college and other practices here in the next couple of weeks friends sit back and relax it's time to talk about everything under the sun from accuweather.com over the next couple of weeks millions of middle school high school and college students will be heading out on the fields the soccer fields field hockey fields football fields as they get ready for fall sports here, and even the ones that are practicing indoor sports like girls volleyball, which is a prominent uh, fall sport, even those folks are subjected to this heat and humidity that we're going to really feel here over the next couple of weeks, even in places that weren't as hot earlier in the summers. We've talked about the last couple of weeks. Summer has been surging into the Northeast and the Great Lakes. Our own Joe Lundberg has been part of AccuWeather for 30 or more years. You know him from the radio, TV, and work with our clients. And I also want to bring in... Tony Wolf. He is a postdoctoral researcher. Dr. Wolf at Penn State is uh, someone that Joe knows because Joe and Tony's wife train and ride together as they get ready for some of these big events. Joe, just a couple of weeks ago, was part of an Ironman competition. That's where they combine running, 
swimming and running a marathon in the immense heat. We're going to talk to Joe about that experience. We're going to talk to about Tony about how Joe coped with that kind of heat and humidity, how as he gets older, it may not be coping as better. And for our youth, as they get ready to go out on the fall practice fields in this intense heat and humidity, some things that you and they can do over the next couple of weeks to get acclimated and ready for that. We join Tony and Joe with me here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Tony, it sounds like all those things that you've been researching and looking at were kind of epitomized by what Joe just went through a couple of weeks ago. I mean, Joe and I are similar in age and both uh, came at a a life situation where both of us had um, had some health issues and uh, I was much bigger than Joe. I was up to 383 pounds and I've taken steps over the last 10 years to get my health in and, and Joe has too. And one of that culminations has been Joe's uh, participation in Ironman triathlons. And that's uh, Joe, how many now have you done total? Mm-hmm. In this your, was in my third full distance Ironman that wow. I've attempted. I've completed two and this one, I got 90% of the way, but uh, didn't quite uh, finish the deal with the, uh, the the marathon. I only got a half marathon in on uh, a week ago Sunday. Yeah. So, again, this goes back to uh, the second uh, to last Sunday in July. Now, this Ironman, uh, you know, we hear that word or that term bandied about, but there's only a, a select few races that are actually able to use that terminology right joe because of uh um being an official length and things in each of the each of the disciplines yeah i mean they have iron man is a brand uh, they uh, basically have uh, i guess have coined the term but uh, they've they've taken over the branding of it and they run these events all around the world i mean there's one practically every weekend somewhere in the world sometimes there's multiples uh, sometimes they do what they call 70.3s, which would be half the distance, uh, a half Ironman. And they also run some other things. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it, it, you, for the full distance Ironman, you swim 2.4 miles mm. and then you bike for 112 miles. And then mm. if that's not enough punishment, you decide to go run a marathon on top of that. Yeah. And then that's the last thing, right? You know, why yes. can't you get the marathon out at the beginning and then do the other fun stuff? I, to me, the funner stuff, but it isn't. I mean, I, I just, you know, any of those things, even just a, a fraction of each of those things would be too much for me personally. But well, as you um, as you pointed out, you know, when we were bigger versions of ourselves many right. years ago, those were thoughts that were had never entered my mind. Foreign. And <laughs> as I lost weight and started to investigate things like cycling and then come in contact with these other people who had bigger dreams and goals than I did, I started to wonder, well, could I run? And I'd had knee surgery back in 01. And the doctor then who did it said, Yeah, you probably don't want to run, you probably don't want to play, play football. And I didn't play football and I hated running. So I figured, hey, I got nothing to worry about. But, you know, the curiosity got the better of me and I started trying to investigate, well, what can I do? And I just kept pushing the barriers, pushing the barriers. And uh, eventually I got uh, talked into doing an Ironman and and I've not uh, stopped just yet. Now, now, Tony's wife. Uh, you as a frequent partner, riding partner, and training partner with you. So that's the connection here. So Tony, when you were thinking about people like like Joe and your wife training for these extreme events, especially in the summertime heat, what are some of the things that you've passed along to them in terms of uh, ideas about preparation and 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 thinking ahead? You know, I think so many people think about the event and what I need to do for that day. 
But these kinds, especially an Ironman, preparing for that in the heart and heat of summer takes preparation even above that first time that you actually do the event, correct? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit of a tough balance with that. So obviously you kind of have to balance your own training to, to continue to improve your fitness, but doing it in the heat, both, you know, there are some safety potential safety concerns that come with that um, if it gets too extreme, but also, you know, even short of that training quality is impaired to some extent when you're experiencing heat stress. So Mm -hmm. with, you know, increased sweating rates and increased blood flow to the skin, which is one of the mechanisms of cooling ourselves during when we're experiencing heat stress, that increases cardiovascular demand just overall. So you exponentially, have right? Demand. So you're not only are you trying to keep up and create enough energy in your body and and enough power to do the sport or the activity, there's also a large percentage of your body working to do the activity of cooling you off, which uh, that's when you get to the overload situation, right? When all of those things yeah. are trying to do things at once. Yeah. So your circulatory system is trying to provide all the blood flow to the muscles that are that's needed to support the exercise demands of the exercise but also to the skin to meet the demands of the thermoregulatory demands so that places a pretty large cardiovascular strain um, and eventually you know you just can't pedal as hard or run as fast or whatever it may be so it's important to you know when you're getting into that hot season start to to heat acclimate and and do it kind of in a systematic fashion that both makes it safe and sustainable and also helps you maintain the quality of your training. So let's go back a week ago Sunday again and and talk to Joe a little bit about that day. How hot was it? How hot um, have you done something similar in and and as much humidity I mean, you're a meteorologist. You knew what you were getting into going into it. And in the, in, you know, the, the climatological idea that that could be that hot and humid. And then certainly as we got closer within that week or so, we knew that that heat surge was uh, really going to be going that week. I mean, talk about some of your th- thinking going into that event and some of the things the organizers were telling you and the people involved to help try to keep everything and everyone safe in that event, Joe. Well, going into it, I think one of the biggest concerns that I had as a meteorologist and also the folks at at Lake Placid were thunderstorms and what they would have to do in terms of safety uh, for the cyclists. Now, that turns out that that was uh, a non sequitur. We didn't have to worry about that. But it quickly became apparent that it was going to be a very warm day and also very, very humid. And as that became more apparent, I quickly adjusted my game plan. I went in with the idea that, okay, I'm swim is, it was a swim is a swim. And I knew I wasn't going to be fast anyway. And then bike, I was probably going to back off my intensity level so that I could kind of reduce my sweat, sweat rate and keep my body, you know, hydrated as best as I could in preparation for running the, the run plan. I was hoping to run at least the first half marathon before, you know, dialing it back to you know what they call the Ironman shuffle, where you walk more than you run. But as that humidity became more and more apparent, I said, all right, I'm not going to be able to run that much. I've got to run and walk, run and walk, run and walk. And I immediately went into that mode. But 
uh, on that day when the sun was out at times, it was like 85, 86, and probably road temperatures were in the 90s mm. with dew point temperatures that were in the mid-60s. So it was very mm. uncomfortable for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start sweating and you're continually exercising. You don't ever stop sweating unless you completely stop for a period of time. So you're losing all those fluids. And I tend to lose a lot of salt when I when I sweat, probably more so than the average person. I've never had a study done, and I'd like to know that. But that compounded itself. And then once I went on to the run, um, you don't have that cooling effect uh, of, you know, going into the breeze that the cycling would create. So that just, I think, exacerbated my sweat loss and 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 fluid loss. And eventually I started cramping in my legs. And at that point in time, I had to really slow things down. And I think that's an important point. And I'll point over to Tony um, you know, we can talk about generalities of things in terms of the way people handle heat, heat stress, uh, whether they're really uh, being exerting their, themselves or not. But the truth is everybody's metabolism and body combine, uh, makeup is different. And so we're all going to handle that differently. You can put 10 people in a room, same conditions, same activities, and some people are going to come out on a better situation than others. How do you know that, Tony? How do you know that going in? Are there ways to find out how well you and your body do in heat stress situations? Is that important to know for athletes as we head into this busy time where folks are going to start training for the fall sports in the heat of summer? Tough to say for sure without doing specific lab testing. You know, so going back to what Joe was saying about uh, individual sweat rates or people who, who sweat more or less or excrete more or less salt in their sweat. Uh, it's a little bit hard to know without doing some sort of lab testing, but generally speaking, uh, people who weigh more create more metabolic heat. Like I'm 200 pounds, right? So, but you're me, tall, right? Somebody else who's <laughs> 150 pounds, they're going to be creating a lot of metabolic, a lot less metabolic heat, especially, you know, going up hills or during running. So just they don't heat up as fast just for that reason alone. And another important component of of keeping yourself cool, thermoregulating is uh, just body surface area. So we talk about body surface area to mass ratio because all of our heat dissipation happens through our skin. So the more surface area, skin surface area we have, the better we do dissipating heat. Ah, But if we have more mass, per unit of surface area, then it's kind of a disadvantage relative to somebody who has less mass per unit of surface area. So those are important components. Also just absolute fitness. So like maximal aerobic capacity is one way that we measure fitness, particularly in endurance athletes. So those with higher VO2 max or you know maximal aerobic capacity tend to thermoregulate better. And then heat acclimation or acclimatization is also a really important component of that. So, uh, and that takes like significant intentional kind of training your body to become acclimated. Uh, It takes about 10 days of uh, back-to-back exposures or repeated exposures every day to become fully acclimated. You know, again, that takes a lot of kind of intention to become acclimated. A lot of people think, well, it's it's hot out, so I'm going to become acclimatized, you know, but that's not really necessarily the case. If you're 
training early in the morning to avoid the heat, you're not really going to become right. acclimated. So, yeah, all of those are important components that kind of sh- shape the overall picture. We're, we've been kind of coming at this. Uh, uh, <laughs> not that Joe's an elite Ironman athlete, but he I'm is not. certainly certainly somebody that does it. And there's a lot of us that don't do it. Uh, I, I think about as we get ready now. And again, we're talking to Dr. Tony Wolf. He is a postdoctoral researcher at Penn State. And he this is his bread and butter, folks, how folks uh, handle um, heating and cooling and how their bodies work. Um, and we're talking with our very good colleague, uh, Joe Lundberg, who uh, is not only an amazing meteorologist, but has become uh, uh, an athlete in his own right in terms of, you know, long distance riding and running and swimming and culminating in Ironmans. And we're getting ready for folks. Uh, this is an important time. I think we're just uh, days, if not uh, a week or more at most away from a lot of folks heading back to the practice fields. You know, we get ready for fall sports and the cranking out of summer. And uh, as Joe and I both know, there's a lot of heat and humidity that are pushing northward again here and in the northeast and the Great Lakes as we get into this weekend. Uh, and it's going to sizzle and sweat and swelter. So let's kind of think about this now as we go through the next couple of minutes, how we would talk to our kids, our uh, younger sons and daughters who are going to be out there and, you know, is it too late to start to get ready to acclimate yourself knowing that this is going to be such a hot period coming up in the next couple of weeks as kids go out and start practicing again? Are we able to trust that our folks that are with those kids, the coaches and the trainers and stuff know the things that they need to maybe Tony, maybe a few thoughts from you. And I know Joe, you've got some good thoughts on this as well. I don't think it's too late to acclimate. Certainly, uh, like I said, it takes about 10 days of, of uh, continuous exposures, uh, daily exposures to, to the heat to become acclimated. And, and of course, that the degree of acclimation is going to depend on the environment in which you're you know, participating in physical activity or whatever, practicing. So I think that a, a really important component of this is that as these kids are going back to school and starting to get back to practice for whatever sport they're participating in, I mean, the most important thing is to to try to inform the coaches and the parents, like you kind of uh, mentioned. It takes a couple of weeks for those adaptations to occur. And so particularly in sports like football, where they're wearing relatively heavy equipment that really it not only the weight of the equipment again if, if you're carrying more weight you're creating more metabolic heat so you're heating up more so there's that component and also that you know shoulder pads or helmets whatever those create micro environments that make it a little more difficult to actually dissipate heat so harder to evaporate sweat through those pads and also the air passing over the skin has a cooling effect and you're not getting as much of that effect so it's really important to start out if it's hot with, you know, maybe uh, reducing the amount of equipment that that the kids are wearing. So our lab in the past has done some research looking at uh, whether football players are wearing full uniforms or just shells or shorts and T-shirts only. And that kind of shifts those. If you're wearing less clothes, you can tolerate higher temperatures and humidity for a given metabolic heat production. So really starting out with less equipment, 
making sure that it's safe in that regard, allowing the kids to acclimate and then starting to add on more of that uh, equipment and more of the uniform and everything that they're going to be expected to wear in, in competition. Joe, you know, you and I come from this with a maturity level because, you know, we've been through life for 55 to 60 years or so. And so we know it. I think kids or young folks come at this stuff with a, a level of invincibility in their mind that they can't be zapped by the heat and the humidity. Um, you know, you were out there a couple of Sundays ago with folks your age and then younger folks, everyone was having trouble, I'm sure, in that heat and humidity. This is not something that even if you're young and you think, oh, I don't have to worry about this, you do need to worry about this because uh, it is going to be, looks like this next stretch of week or two, especially in areas that, you know, maybe started off a little bit cooler this summer, really seeing the heat surge and we're seeing more surges in the next couple of weeks when these kids are going to be out. So you really need to, uh, parents especially need to kind of push to their kids that they need to think about this stuff a little bit and and plan ahead. Is that is that a fair statement in your mind? It's a fair statement. I, it, you know, Tony spoke, speaks of the, you know, getting acclimatized to the environment and I know when I first started cycling seriously back in 06, my time to cycle was after work. So it was in the afternoon hours when my wife was at work and kids were in school. Right so I had that three hour day, window right? when yeah. it was just me. And, you know, in June and July and August, what do we have? 85, <laughs> 90 degree heat and humidity. And I found that over a period of time that my body did, uh, you know, adjust to it. And I, I grew to kind of enjoy that kind of environment. So, you know, when I see weather like this that's coming up where it's going to be, you know, in the 90s with high humidity, it's not one of those things where you can't go out and do things, but you have to be smart about it, um, limit your exposure outside. If you do it, you know, as Tony says, on a repeated basis, your body will learn to adjust to certain things. I mean, there's, you know, obviously, you know, when it gets to be 98, 100 degrees, you know, that's matching your body temperature. If you're exerting stuff and trying to put out that kind of heat, you know, it becomes more and more of a challenge. So, uh, you know, Tony probably could speak to this more uh, than I could, but, you know, there are other things that you have to do on top of getting acclimatized, like, you know, making sure you're stop, staying on top of hydration and being careful of your electrolyte loss. Electrolytes and then the right nutrients, right, uh, leading up to and during the event itself, Tony, right? Definitely. And and also just, you know, uh, when it gets to those more extreme temperatures, if it's getting into the hundreds, implementing work-rest ratios that, that allow you to, you know, so you're not having a continuous rise in body temperature, you have some rest time built in that allow you to kind of recover, let your core temperature come down a little bit and and keep it safe in that way. I know that the um, Ironman officials, you know, they'd be more likely to, you know, more properly speak on this, but I think that there are certain points at which they might consider it unsafe. I know that there was some sort of triathlon. I don't think it was related to Ironman uh, in Boston, the same day that I was doing mine in Lake Placid, where I think they canceled it because of the extreme conditions, but they have run these events. I know there was one earlier this year in St. George, Utah, and it was, brutally hot and the did not finish rate the dnf rate was like 20 percent, which is way above wow. normal at yeah. lake placid it's normally they say around eight percent this year it was 16 percent. i was one of the victims uh because of the, the cramping issues that i suffered but yeah I, I mean in extreme conditions like that you can do but you have to you have to recognize that your performance is going to suffer you know because 
you know, your body's working harder to get rid of that heat that you're generating on a hot and humid day. Uh, and you just have to be be smart about it and know your body. And, you know, if you're suffering, you know, beginning to suffer from some signs of fatigue, you're maybe feeling a little disoriented. You, you got to pull the plug. And I, thankfully, I was smart enough to recognize that, you know, if I kept going, it was it, there was going to be no reward for me continuing to do what I was doing. There was only going to be harm. So that's why I pulled the plug. And, and as we go through the next few weeks, we uh, certainly hope that there's people around our young uh, folks um, to to pull that plug if they need to to pull it here in that situation. But, you know, as parents, I think we can keep an eye on the forecasts and all that. And and both of you, some really great information. Dr. Tony Wolf, Joe Lundberg, thank you so much for joining us and talking about this important subject as we get ready to get out there, especially our younger folks uh, getting ready for the uh, fall sports season with these practices in the hot and steamy late summer. Tony and Joe, thanks so much for being with us on Everything Under the Sun. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Perfect. Tony. That was fun. Yeah, I, I learned some things there. If you'd like contact information on Tony, you can go to the website healthyaging.psu.edu slash people slash SAW85. We're going to put that link in our notes section. We're also um, going to talk to Tony more in the future, if we can, about these kinds of things that he's doing. Because I think as many of us continue to stay more active as we get older, these are kinds of things that we would like to know about how the weather and the environment interact with our bodies and our health. Joe Lundberg will stick around and join me coming up next as we take his experience from this past couple of weeks and go forward as he's getting ready for some vacation, but... Others of us are going to be out in the heat and humidity this upcoming weekend and week beyond. We'll talk to Joe about how that weather looks up next. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. And welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com as we roll on here talking about the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond. And Joe Lundberg joins me again. And Joe, first, let's go back to that segment that we just did with uh, Tony and you. And, you know, you said to me after we were done with that interview that you learned a lot of things and some things I think people can use going into this weekend with this tremendous surge of heat and humidity to start the weekend and continuing, it looks like, up and down the eastern seaboard. It's going to be really sticky and awful. Two of the takeaways from it were, one, as you get older, your ability to mitigate heat from your body is diminished. So I learned that. I, I just, you know, I, it, intuitively it made sense, but it was kind of harsh to hear that as I'm getting older. Me too. Uh, and, and the other thing is, you know, acclimating to the heat and humidity. You can acclimate to it. Our bodies will get used to it. You know, if you are, you know, persistent about doing things in it, obviously you have to be careful when you get to extreme levels. You know, you know your body can only tolerate so much. I mean, if it's 105 degrees outside, right. you can't get rid of that much heat, you know, especially if you're exerting yourself. So you do have to be more cognizant of staying hydrated and taking more frequent breaks. But um, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I learned from uh, talking to Tony. And I think... Uh, you know, that makes a lot of sense, too, because honestly, if you have practices, if your kids have practices or stuff outside over the next maybe in a week or two, this would be a good time to get folks out and acclimated because there is going to be a lot of heat and humidity 
the most brutal heat uh, will be at the end of the week going into the weekend in some of those I-95 corridor cities. But we're not easing off the pedal much, maybe a little bit on the heat. But actually, I think the humidity in some of those like uh, New York City up to Boston looks worse this weekend. The front that is coming through Chicago never gets to the eastern seaboard. So the I-95 corridor is going to stay in the thick of the tropical humidity throughout the weekend and in the first half of next week. You're right. The heat backs off a little bit, but it comes back, I think, starting Sunday and lasting through Tuesday in these places. And, and Monday and Tuesday could be just about as hot as today. Maybe not quite, but it's going to be very uncomfortable. So if you have options to do exercise or things during the cool of the morning, comparatively so, or late in the afternoon and evening when the sun is much lower in the sky, take that option. Don't try to avoid doing stuff, you know, during the midday and the first part of the afternoon when it's just too hot. Showers and thunderstorms, uh, probably most prevalent away from the immediate coast, but I think uh, we're going to see a, a zone in the upper plain or the central plains in the upper Midwest. It could be pretty active with heavy thunderstorms. And then this ring of fire with showers and thunderstorms curling all the way back through the Intermountain West in Denver down with the monsoonal moisture, a big hot a mess in uh, Texas, some showers and thunderstorms along the Gulf Coast. Pacific Northwest, pretty warm, but pretty dry. Not the intense heat that we've seen at times there. Not intense heat, but by the end of the week and the start of next week, you know, you're going to see that heat building. I think it's a shorter term heat wave for those folks, maybe three or four days at most, as opposed to what they've had recently uh, when Seattle and Portland had a really lengthy hot stretch. I think this one is much, much shorter. But you're right. There's going to be plenty of heat in the middle part of the country. And what little cooling you're going to see in the north Plains and Midwest, I think that's reversed next week. So get prepared next week for another surge of heat for those places. We saw one winter forecast from a source come out already this week. Um, A lot of talk. And I know you mentioned this. I know the long range team, which you're a major part of. Already some talk about some analogs back to a winter that I would like to forget, 2013-14, in terms of maybe some onslaughts of Arctic air. So we're kind of putting our own winter forecast together, but it's something we got to watch here. It is something you have to watch. You know, when you're putting together these winter forecasts, you take, you take a look at various pieces of the puzzle. You try to figure out, okay, which one's most dominant? Will there be one dominant one, or will it be a combination of things, and do they play off one another as the season wears on? So it, you have to be careful about latching onto one of the these signals and think that's going to be the one right. and it correlates to the winter of 2013 2014 which was brutal across most of the country in yeah. terms of cold and snow so you know we got to put the pump the brakes on that kind of stuff it's a factor it is in the analog package that we're looking at but it may not be the most dominant one so let, let's not get too concerned about the uh, winter just yet joe thanks for your help this week on the episode uh, the interview in this uh, segment it's been great talking to you have a great weekend stay cool and you have a great vacation i will Joe may be taking vacation, but this podcast won't. We'll be back next week with episode 10 of our summer series, and I'm excited about it. We're going to talk to our interns that have been with us for the last few months here at AccuWeather. These four young women and men have been doing amazing work for us, and we're going to talk to them about some of the projects they did for us, some of the things they uncovered, about their view of meteorology as we make this turn into where weather and air quality and climate change continue to be at the forefront of everybody's thoughts, and also their thoughts about you know, what it's like to be thinking about being a meteorologist. Maybe you know a young person who wants to be a meteorologist will give you some advice on their experiences over the last couple of years in getting into the profession. The interns will be with us next week. For our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb. For our guests... 
Tony Wolf and Joe Lundberg, and for our hundreds of team members here at AccuWeather that work hard every day to weatherproof your life. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week with everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.